Welcome to the OptiMove podcast, empowering independence and optimal movement in the face of aging, neurological, and movement challenges. My name is Dr. Jeffrey Guild, physical therapist and strength and conditioning professional. This show is dedicated to empower you to achieve your optimal movement so you can fully engage in your life again. Today, we're going to talk about the fear of falling and how walking slower, furniture walking, and being careful actually leads to falls and gives you poor balance. We'll also talk about how we empower people to reduce their risk of falling and to balance better by actually walking faster and more confident. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the first episode of the OptiMove podcast. This is the very first episode of the podcast in which we're going to talk about empowering independence and optimal movement, no matter who you are, uh, but especially if uh, you are someone who is facing uh, neurological challenges, aging, um, neurological diagnoses, or uh, movement problems in general. Um why we put this podcast together. So basically we wanted to bring out expert advice about movement problems in general. And, you know, movement problems are something that a lot of times uh, specialists will know a lot about a lot of specialists in the strength conditioning world. So strength conditioning professionals, people work with elite athletes, uh, physical therapists, uh, certain chiropractors, things like that, um, will specialize in, in movement. And it can be a very, uh, very small uh, group of people, a very esoteric world. Um, and so what we want to do is bring that information out to the general public because this sort of information can benefit everybody. And, you know, yes, this podcast is especially geared towards people with uh, neurological uh, disorders and uh, the aging population. But we're going to also have a lot of great information on here that will benefit everybody. So um, whether you're 18 years old and uh, wanting to run, whether you're uh, an athlete uh, or just, uh, you know, 45 years old and just wanting to get back into the gym again without getting hurt um, or someone with multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's, this podcast is for you. And so we're going to dive in, uh, into detail in a lot of these different topics, and I think you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. Um, so we're going to provide a lot, a lot of great information and uh, my plan is to bring in some specialists as well um, and interview some great people so that we can uh, dive even deeper into these topics um, in ways that you'll enjoy. So uh, we'll get detailed, uh, but we also want to uh, stay, uh, we want to be able to communicate uh, with you where you're at. Um, so, you know, we want to be able to reach out to educate people. Uh, professionals who want to consume a lot of great information, um, and learn more about their health. Uh, so, and, you know, also for healthcare providers, you know, healthcare providers, uh, don't, can't always have their heads in the book or, um, to be consuming dry information. Uh, you know, uh, they're working all, uh, healthcare providers are working all day. Um, you know, you only have so much brain power in the day. And sometimes the best way to learn about a different topic, uh, in healthcare is by consuming content that's intended for the general public. And I, I know I've certainly done that, um, and actually gained a lot of, um, a better understanding by consuming that sort of information. So, uh, this podcast is, uh, is for, um, for healthcare providers as well, whether you're a, a physical therapist, chiropractor, uh, fitness professional, strength coach, uh, doctor, uh, whoever you are, we're going to provide a lot of great information for you uh, if you're a healthcare provider as well. So, um, so everybody uh, is likely to run into movement problems at some time in their life. H how do you know this? If you've ever had an ache or a pain or an injury, likely uh, it was caused by a movement problem. There was a break. There was a break somewhere in the body where something was not moving correctly. Um, and then we often too think of uh, things uh, such as x-rays and MRIs and things like that as, yep, there's the problem. Um, that's why the injury is there. But the vast majority of the time, that's just 
the symptom. The MRI is just showing what's, it's just a snapshot, but what actually caused the problem that appears on the MRI, that's what we really want to find out. And a lot of times, um, these sorts of injuries are caused by things that have been going on months or even years in advance, alignment issues. And again, basic movement problems that over time, uh, the tissue basically says, okay, I can't take this anymore. Uh, and then it, we have a, we have an injury. So the key is to spot these movement problems in advance so we can actually uh, prevent injuries. So everybody has movement problems at some point in their life, but we're, again, we're also going to gear this podcast towards, uh, specific neurological conditions such as Parkinson's, such as multiple sclerosis, um, dizziness and move, uh, dizziness problems and vertigo, uh, balance and falls and, and things like that so that, um, we can empower people suffering with these problems to be able to learn more about what's going on and how they can, uh, help themselves so they can move better. Uh, we're also going to gear this, uh, podcast towards the aging population and more importantly, the, the families of uh, people, um, who are aging. So, uh, if you're in your forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, and you got some uh, parents that are getting uh, older and beginning to have problems with balance and they're falling. And if, um, you're worried about how much longer can my mom or dad stay active and independent in their home and out in the community. And I don't want them to go to a nursing home. Like I'm seeing so many of their peers doing, uh, this podcast is for you. So we're going to provide a lot of great information, uh, that will empower you to help your parents. Um, again, we'll bring in specialists on these t- types of topics as well. So why am I uniquely qualified to uh, provide this information uh, to you? So if you're going to provide the time to listen to me and, um, and uh, get this uh, great information. It's important for you to know why um, I'm uniquely qualified to help you. So um, I I have a doctorate degree in physical therapy, and I'm also a a strength conditioning professional. Um, My previous career was as a uh, strength conditioning professional where I was focused more on the general public than elite athletes. Worked with Division I athletes, um, but quickly shifted towards the general public. Um, I've worked in many different settings as a physical therapist, uh, hospitals, nursing homes, uh, memory care facilities, uh, outpatient neurological rehab, uh, outpatient orthopedics, um, hospice, and uh, even some uh, pediatrics and uh, time and also um, in a vestibular specialty clinic. We'll talk more about vestibular disorders because that's my particular specialty. Um, And at this point, um, at the time of this recording, uh, I'm owner of a, a private practice in which we provide a phenomenal mobile service uh, to people in their homes. Um, so a little about a little bit more about me and my story. Um, I start again. I start off as a strength conditioning professional, uh, working with Division One athletes, and I actually did my undergraduate thesis on training for lower body power to prevent falls. So about the age of 21, I think is um, it occurred to me that we had a major problem in our hands in society. The baby boomers, as they got older, were going to reach a point where uh, falling would be a major concern. So um, I started dedicating my focus towards preventing falls and uh, even and did my undergraduate thesis on the topic. So as a strength conditioning coach, it it made a lot of sense that the area was on basically strength and power in the legs and how much how important that is in order to prevent falls. We'll get to that topic later on. It's not everything. And that's also what we'll talk about. But 
I also had a passion for taking strength conditioning principles to the general public. And so I began to work with, um, with people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and uh, taking what I learned uh, working with Division One athletes and then modifying those things uh, towards the general public. Also, what I got uh, working with the general public was learning how to assess very basic movement in order to prevent injuries way ahead, way ahead of time. So if you think about the football player running into the end zone um, and all of a sudden they pull a hamstring um, in the middle of a game. So it's important to understand that that hamstring pull was months and perhaps even years in the making. It did not happen out of the blue randomly on the field. That injury was was going to happen unless if somebody intervened uh, to stop it. And the key uh, is to spot why that hamstring is going to break because there's a basically a basic movement problem with that athlete. The athlete can jump high, they can run fast, they can do all these wonderful things, but sometimes they don't move very well at a very basic level. And the key here is to make sure that they can move well at a basic level before they do all these other things. And the problem is too often we don't look for these basic movement problems. And so then when athletes go and do all these higher level things, uh, eventually their, their bodies break. Uh, this is also true for the general public. So I applied this uh, principle to all the people I worked with in the general public in the fitness setting. So I would screen their movement, uh, before, uh, having them do complicated things before loading them up with late weight, looking at how they move at a basic level and to begin to correct those things way in advance. So, um, for you physical therapists or, or uh, fitness professionals out there who, uh, uh, studied from, uh, Mike Boyle, Shirley Sarman, Greg Cook, uh, Gary Gray, Chuck Wolf, all these people, those were my early influencers. So, um, this led me to work with uh, older people and people uh, with physical limitations. So physical therapy school was a national transition. And while I was in physical therapy school, I began to specialize in vestibular disorders, worked with a great mentor um, that I worked with uh, in school. And then also for my entire first year out of school, actually, I uh, went back and worked with her and we worked with people with uh, mostly vestibular problems. So basically dizziness and vertigo. Um, all day, every day, day in, day out. Um, and then as well as some multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's and various other, uh, neurological conditions, but, uh, dizziness and vertigo was our main specialty. Um, and so that was the missing link, uh, if you will, uh, between, um, for balance and falls, you know, yes, strength is important. Power is important, but, um, the main central balance system, the vestibular system was that missing component, um, that I needed to really focus, um, clinically on why people fall. And so I pivoted towards specializing in that for that purpose. Uh, so basically we could address, uh, balance and falls head on. So, um, I enjoyed working in these settings, especially working with people with neurological disorders and the older populations. Absolutely wonderful, uh, thrilling population to work with. Uh, loved every minute of it and just enjoyed working with them. I also saw that there was a gap between what the time that the person would leave the clinic and then when they would go home or the gap between when they would get done uh, with their therapy and transition out of therapy. There was always a missing gap there that I was felt, uh, needed to be filled. And I was usually the one trying to push for more therapy because they had a lot more that they wanted to achieve. Um, good enough 
according to Medicare and the insurance companies was not good enough for, for our clients and for, and from what I thought that they could achieve, I thought they could achieve a lot more, but we were always dictated by, um, someone else by how far, uh, our, our patients could get. And so my focus on the practice was to empower people to get back to what they truly wanted to get back to doing, to get as good physically as they wanted to, to do because our physical state and our physical, how we are physically impacts our daily life so much. And I've been in that situation, uh, with any type of injury, the slightest injury can cause significant psychological and, uh, quality of life, uh, uh, challenges to people. So if we can improve their ability to, to move better, then we can truly impact their life. And too often people are cut off from therapy, uh, too early and, uh, are not able to achieve, uh, what they truly want to, even if they're completely motivated to do so. So that was a gap uh, that I saw and I would often, uh, run into. Another gap was, you know, when, when people would leave uh, skilled nursing facilities, um, or hospitals, there was, I found there was a, not a great path for them to continue on into their home and get better. So I dedicated a practice towards working with people in their homes on a mobile service, um, providing a phenomenal experience for people in a way that they would enjoy and bridging that gap between, you know, leaving the hospital or leaving the skilled nursing facility and then transitioning into the home. And what I found is a lot of people, uh, very much enjoy working um, with therapy in their homes in general. And the home environment is also the perfect place for therapy because oftentimes in the clinic, we're trying to get a sense of the home environment. We're asking for questions. We're asking for measurements. We're uh, asking for pictures and things like that to get a sense of what the home environment is like, is like let's say, for a 90-year-old. So what better situation than to work with the 90-year-old in their own home? And so that way we can see what their life is truly like. And so that's what we get to do every day. And it's, it's, it's an absolute thrill, uh, to be able to work with our clients in the comfort of their own homes. Um, and to, for our clients to be able to choose, uh, how good they want to be. It's completely up to them. And that's the fun part about it. Uh, and so the power is, is in their hands. So, so let's talk about who this podcast is for. So this podcast is for people who are experiencing problems uh, with movement or specific neurological disorders, such as um, if you have an aging parent who's having problems with balance and falling, um, or an aging parent who's having problems with dizziness or vertigo, uh, if you know somebody who has a specific neurological condition, such as Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis, if you yourself have a specific neurological uh, disorder or condition, um, then this podcast is for you. Uh, if you're uh, working to try to get back into a fitness setting um, and you're just trying to uh, lift heavier, run faster, uh, achieve a greater gains than before, um, and you want to be able to do it without injury, uh, then this podcast is for you. If you're you know, 45, 45 years old and uh, trying to get back into the gym um, and to be able to do so in such a way and uh, without getting hurt and get, get in shape and... Um, get fit again, but you're worried about, uh, getting injured along the way, then this podcast is for you. Cause we're going to have, uh, some particular insights, uh, for you, um, in those sorts of situations. Um, if you're a healthcare provider and want to 
uh, learn more about what we're talking about, whether it's vestibular disorders, neurological conditions, uh, movement disorders in general. If you're a doctor, physical therapist, chiropractor, um, this podcast is for you because uh, we're going to go in depth on um, on movement problems and which I guarantee you see every day uh, in your practice as well. Uh, This podcast is also for fitness professionals who want to take their understanding to the next level, uh, whether it's specifically uh, geared towards um, screening athletes or the general public that you might be working with uh, that will help you in the gym and to prevent injuries. Uh, If you want to learn more about the clients that you're working with uh, who might have uh, multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's um, because it's more common that these individuals are now going to, to fitness settings, which is a phenomenal thing. And so as a fitness professional, it's great to know more about uh, specifics uh, regarding um, with the, with these individuals and what they're going through. Um, if you just want to learn more about how to prevent these sorts of problems in general, uh, then, then this uh, podcast is for you. So OptiMove, we focus on individualized treatment and individualized uh, solutions and finding the root cause uh, to movement problems. Um, rather than uh, putting a Band-Aid uh, over the, the problem, so we want to find what's actually causing uh, the movement issue at its root source. Um, and we work with our clients on an individual and personalized level, communicating with them in a way that they enjoy and they understand uh, so that we can empower them to be able to get back to living the life that they want to lead. Um, The key here is that personalized and individualized uh, work that we do with our clients. And ultimately, they're able to be empowered to achieve the results that they want uh, by those methods. People don't like to be treated like a number. People don't like to be just uh, shoved into a, a healthcare factory line, uh, which too often is we're seeing that these days and our clients are talking about it uh, quite a bit. They're only being seen by their doctor for five minutes. They're being, um, you know, they're being seen by their physical therapist while the physical therapist is working with four different other people. Um, you know, and people don't like that. Our clients don't like that. And, and, and to be honest, the uh, healthcare providers don't like it either. So uh, both for the sake of our clients, uh, for the uh, healthcare provider, the physical therapists that work uh, with us, and for those that we're going to bring on to this uh, great team later on, we want to work with our clients in a way that both our clients and the, the therapists want to work, which is finding the root cause of the problem rather than uh, covering it up with a Band-Aid, working with our clients in a way that's personalized and individualized. So here's what's actually happened with Parkinson's. The neurologist will refer their, their patients to a uh, rehab team with the expectation that every single person working with that person with Parkinson's on that rehab team is certified in big and loud which is an actual certification. Um, And so then, of course, the rehab team wanting to make the neurologist happy, make sure that that gets fulfilled. So they only then pull from their therapists who are certified in big and loud. And what they do with that person with Parkinson's is big and loud because that's what the neurologist wants. And so it's not even um, what the therapists think needs to be done. The therapists are doing just basically what the neurologist wants done. The neurologist is doing it because to their understanding, the evidence says that this is a great program for Parkinson's. It's all they know um, as far as rehab with Parkinson's. And so 
I think uh, the neurologist is trying to uh, get the person away from a situation where they're in a outpatient orthopedic setting that doesn't know how to work with Parkinson's. So they want to find specialists. And so the only specialists that they know about Parkinson's are those who are certified in big and loud. But what is also missing, though, is you have other therapists who might know very well how to work with people with Parkinson's, but they haven't put big and loud in their toolbox because for one reason or another, because that's all big and loud is. It's a tool in a toolbox. And if you're not familiar with big and loud, you know, it's a, it's based on peer reviewed evidence and it's a great program. And it's basically emphasizing large movements and getting the person to speak loud and, you know, and move big and all these things, which counters what Parkinson's does to the body, which is short, choppy steps, uh, speaking more softly, small movements and things like that. So it counters Parkinson's, but the problem is it's kind of a one size fix all overpackaged solution. And that's, that's the problem with, with those sorts of things. Same thing with boxing. When I first read the research on, um, on boxing for Parkinson's in physical therapy school, it was very exciting. And it's, there's a lot of uh, great evidence to support it. It's, um, it's big movements. It's dynamic. It's, um, it's multidimensional, um, and people like it and it's, it's very thrilling. Um, but it's also, um, it's also being overly packaged at this point because everybody knows about it now. Um, and it's great to have, it's great exercise and it's a, uh, it's great rehab. Uh, but it's also just a tool in a toolbox. But, and so what's missing right now for people with Parkinson's is that individualized solution for the root cause of their problem. Why are they, um, hunched over? Why are they not able to take big steps? Why are they uh, not able to walk as far as they would like? Why are they having problems freezing in between doorways and not able to get themselves out of that situation they end up falling because they get frustrated right these are the sorts of things that these programs don't address but uh individualized treatment working with the person one-on-one working with them where they are at their level that's how to work with someone with Parkinson's, you can include the boxing, you can include the big and loud, you can include all those other principles because those are great tools to put in the toolbox, but they're also just tools in the toolbox. Ultimately, you need to find out why the person with Parkinson's is, is having problems moving to begin with um, and how to, uh, both from a physical perspective, psychological perspective, home environment perspective, family dynamic perspective, all those things fit into why that person is having problems walking through their doorway or why that person is having problems uh, walking in the house or why they're having problems walking into a, a restaurant um, and having to be pushed into a wheelchair by their wife. True story, by the way. So if you address the root cause of the problem, then you might be able to get them to be able to walk around their home more easily. You might be able to get them to walk into a restaurant um, with a walker uh, or without a walker for that matter, instead of being pushed in uh, by their wife. And and that's a true story of one of our clients. And now that person is walking all the way into a food court in a mall. Why? Because we worked with he and his family in order to address why he was leaning forward so much, why he couldn't walk very far or very well, why he was falling. And so now he, he's falling a lot less and he's walking a lot farther and has an increased level of, uh, of independence and, uh, improved quality of life and empowerment because of addressing the root cause of the problem. And would it be fair to say that there are some people who just maybe like 
a standard good enough is good enough for them and they don't want to go that extra step but at least for the people who do it should be an option right it's not fair that there aren't any options beyond just getting good enough right they they need to have a choice yeah. and that's too often what's myth- what's missing in healthcare and what i found working uh in in skilled nursing for instance um i just happened to be working at one of the um most affluent uh, skilled nursing facilities uh in the area and it didn't matter how much money or resources the person had what happened after that point was significantly limited because there was no other option other than traditional home health, or if they couldn't get to, uh, to outpatient or even, you know, their options without patient, um, only goes to a certain point. So a more personalized and individualized solution, uh, no matter who the person was, um, whether they're, they're in the wealthiest communities or whether they're, they're middle-class, all these things, are important to keep people active and independent in their homes because if you end up back in the hospital or go back to the nursing home, there's nothing more expensive than that. There's nothing more to take away your quality of life than that or your or your independence or um, the devastation to yourself and your family. So whatever can be done to prevent people from going back to the hospital, going back to skilled nursing, that's what we need to focus on as healthcare providers. And how can we do that? communicating with them at the level that makes sense to them, working with them at the level that makes sense to them. And this is true of anybody, of any service. Um, we just need to do a better job of that in healthcare. Okay, let's uh, dive into uh, the fear of falling and how walking slower furniture walker furniture walking and being safer actually leads to falls and gives you a poor balance. So, which uh, seems uh, counterintuitive uh, to most people. And the reason I bring this up is one of the most common things we hear from people. Um, uh, older people are, will come to us and will tell us how their doctor and their children um, are saying to them all the time, be careful, don't fall, don't fall. Um, and of course, they're, they're telling themselves this as well, because they're afraid of falling, if for no other reason, because they're seeing their friends um, all around them falling and ending up in the hospital, breaking hips and, um, and things like that. So um, the fear of falling is a significant problem. Um, and so we hear from our clients all the time um, that they're being careful and being careful. Um, of course, the other thing we often hear from them is, well, I don't plan on falling, which, of course, uh, we know all too well. Um, you can't plan not to fall. Um, so walking slower uh, in and of itself is also a problem. Um, and when I, t- when I tell this to people that if you walk faster, actually, your balance will be better and you'll be at less risk of falls, people look at, uh, respond in shock and they can't believe that that's the case. The, the perception is that if I walk slower and I'm more careful, then I'll, my balance will be better and I'll be at less risk of falling. So, so I'd like you to imagine a 20 year old uh, walking across the sidewalk. They're probably going to be walking fast, taking nice long strides, they're going to be swinging their arms, they can do multiple things at once. They can be talking on a cell phone and chewing gum and walking at the same time. They can be looking for cars, not a problem. I want you to take that same 20-year-old and elevate the sidewalk two stories into the air so it's nice and high up. No railings that 20-year-old has to walk across. Now I want you to imagine in your head how that 20-year-old is going to walk across the sidewalk. They're probably going to take very small steps. Um, they're going to take short strides. They're walk. They're going to walk very slowly. 
very hesitant. They're going to be very tense. Their body's going to be very tense. Their arms are not going to be swinging. Their head is not going to move. And they're going to, in a very rigid way and very careful way, walk across the sidewalk. That's how too often older people walk in just regular life in their house if they're afraid of falling or if they're being careful. So what does this do? So of course, psychologically, this puts them at increased risk of falling because they're being careful. Their, their muscles are tense. They're moving um, abnormally compared to the way someone should walk. So also mechanically, it increases their risk of falling. And the reason for this is, um, so if someone begins to move abnormally, uh, mechanically things start begin to break down. So it's not just psychologically, um, but mechanically things begin to break down uh, with the way someone walks that increases their risk of falling. So um, big fancy word, gait variability. So this is basically uh, one step after another is not the same as the other. This is actually in the research supported to be the most highly correlated uh, attribute to increasing fall risk as far as the walking. So basically one foot after the other does not walk, does not do the same thing. And this tends to happen when people walk slower. And so the other thing that tends to happen is the foot stays on the ground longer. And so if you can imagine basically standing with both feet on the ground, um, one foot stretched out far ahead of the other, and then just stand there without moving, how difficult is it to hold that position? So that position is where someone who walks slow actually stays for a longer period of time. And that's why we're actually less balanced when we walk slower compared to walking fast. So one step is not the same as the other. And also we hold that position longer in which we're in the most in level of imbalance. And so these are the, the exact mechanical causes as to why when we walk slower, we're actually at higher risk of falls and our balance is less. And of course, our, our stride length, our, um, is, uh, is less and we don't swing our arms as much usually when we walk slower and the arm swing is important because that's how we counterbalance our weight. Uh, our hips don't swing as much when we, when we walk slow. And of course we begin to move abnormal in general. So our body remains tense. Our muscles are tense and our body remains very, very rigid. And so we cannot react to the environment in a very dynamic way that we need to. We can't move our head and look at and screen the environment the way we normally would if our body is very, very rigid. And these are the sorts of things that happen when people walk slow. So furniture walking is the next thing. So we can all uh, think of an older person when they're walking across the room, they're touching every piece of furniture, they're, they're touching walls or touching countertops, right? As they're walking simply in their home environment. And this starts off very, very subtle at first, but it can become more apparent over time. Sometimes uh, if you're the, the child of, of an older person and you see your parent furniture walking, it's something you might notice, but it's not a major red flag uh, or it may be a major red flag. So I do want you to think of this as a red flag. If you see your parent furniture walking, this is a red flag. This is a major problem. So again, there are many mechanical reasons for this. There's also psychological reasons and also neurological reasons why furniture walking is a significant problem. You can think of furniture walking as the next smoking, especially as the baby boomers become older. Um, falling is going to become a 
significant problem. The oldest baby boomers right now at the time of this recording are about 75 years old. By the time they're about 80 and then as they approach 85, this is going to become a much bigger problem because a large percentage of the population are going to be at higher risk of falls. So we need to address these problems early on. So the what actually happens when when you furniture walk is, of course, the obvious, more obvious mechanical things. If eventually you're going to be reaching for something and it's not going to be there, or you're reaching for something and it'll be not as sturdy as you thought it it would be, um, or you're reaching for something in general and it's not there. So that's one reason. Psychologically, of course, it's a downward spiral spiral psychologically. Um, if you're afraid of falling and then you continue to furniture walk, you're touching everything as you go, um, then you're going to, that spiral is going to continue to, to continue. Neurologically, here's the biggest thing and it's, it's more subtle. As we're touching everything, as we walk, we're not using our legs as much to help us balance. So we're becoming more reliant on our hands to help us balance rather than our legs. And it doesn't, take much um, touch to to help us. So I want you to imagine, let's say, an older person and they're at an exercise class and they're standing on one leg and they're saying, I'm just going to put one finger on the table here to help me stand on one leg. Just one finger. That's all I need. That is all they need oftentimes. And the reason for that is because all they need is the sensation information from that table to their finger. That's all they really need in order to give their body a huge amount of information about how to balance, which as soon as they take that finger away from the table, then they're no longer able to stand on one leg. We see this all the time in fitness settings and in rehab settings. This is the same sort of situation that happens when people furniture walk. They're relying on this sensation uh, from their hands as they're walking around. What this does is it takes away the the use of their legs to help them balance. Uh, even worse, um, their reaction to losing their balance um, begins to decline. So when an older person begins to fall backwards, eventually they no longer actually take a step backwards or they don't take a step backwards fast enough. And then the, what we too often see is they fall and land on their head because they're no longer reacting quickly enough to when they lose their balance. And furniture walking is a huge contributing factor uh, to that problem. What it also does is it increases the reliance on the older person's vision to help them balance. So we have three ways in which we balance. We have our vision, our eyes, we have our vestibular system, what you can think of that as our central balance system, the central hub. Um, it's basically from the brain on down and then proprioception and, and the sensation of our feet on the ground going up. Um, proprioception is basically knowing where your legs are in space. So we have three ways in which we balance. If we become overdominant in one, it begins to, uh, we have to compensate with another. So as older people furniture walk, they use their eyes too, too much. And then they begin to use their vestibular system and their proprioception less. We want older people to be using their vestibular system, their, their main central balance system. We want them to be using that more. And we also want them to be using as much of their proprioception, their ability to know where their legs are in space, as possible. So this is a very special sense that's very important. Um, sometimes it goes away uh, as people get older for one reason or another, but however much proprioception the older person has from their 
the sensation from their legs on up, we want that to be there. And we don't want them to ignore it. We want them to use it. And when, when people furniture walk, they're using their eyes more often instead of their legs. And that's the main takeaway. So this is like anything else in healthcare. If you don't use it, you lose it. So if we don't use our vestibular system, if we don't use our proprioception, uh, then our body begins to ignore those things or those things begin to weaken. Um, and so that contributes to the downward spiral. We become overly reliant on our vision. We become overly, overly reliant on uh, touching other things um, with our hands as we walk. Then what ultimately happens is the main ways in which we balance begin to decline become weaker, uh, and our body ignores them more and then goes to the crutches, um, in order to help us balance. And that's what we want to avoid, um, as we get older. So, and again, this all becomes a big downward spiral. So let's talk about what we can do instead of furniture walking. First off, if you're furniture walking, it might be true that you do need a device. You might need a, a cane or a walker, uh, for one reason or another, but also, knowing whether you need a cane or a walker is the first question. So too often, if older people are furniture walking there, it becomes a crutch to build, to be independently mobile. But what happens if you take the furniture walking away? So then you have to actually address the problem. And what you can, what I would recommend here is get evaluated by a physical therapist who can let you know for sure uh, what you need, what type of a device you need. It may be the case where you don't need a cane or a walker at all. It may just be a bad habit that the person has gotten into because too many people have been telling them, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, be careful, be careful, be careful. And then, so then they start, uh, subtly at first and then gradually more and more start, uh, touching furniture as they walk around their house. Again, this is kind of like the new smoking, uh, as people get older, furniture walking is a habit that's very, very difficult to break. And we see this every day. Um, and so though the other way that we address it is to actually address the root cause of their balance problem. And when we do that, then it improves their physical ability to balance. And of course that empowers them to, um, to no longer furniture walk. Um, so it becomes the solution to the smoking, um, if you will. So and that is the uh, conclusion of our first podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to keep delivering uh, great content for you on a regular basis um, so you can continue to get more great information from us um, no matter who you are and the type of movement problems that you're running into. So if you have any questions or want to reach out to me, you can contact me at j.guild at optimovedfw.com, G-U-I-L-D, uh, and just put podcast on the subject line. Uh you can subscri subscribe to Out to Move Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave, leave us a review and so more people can find out about us and uh, be empowered to move better. You can also find us at optimovedfw.com or you can find us on, on Facebook and uh, view even more content that we have um, and get access to our blog as well. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you can call us directly at 214-712-8242. Um, that's it for the show, and I look forward to uh, speaking with you on episode two.